Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 70 of Vague Zone. I am Daniel. I'm Thomas. And today we are discussing Satoshi Khan's Perfect Blue from 1997. Before we get into the discussion, Thomas, will you read for us the IMDb synopsis? Absolutely. Perfect Blue, 1997, directed by Satoshi Khan. A pop singer gives up her career to become an actress, but she slowly goes insane when she starts being stalked by an obsessed fan in what seems to be a ghost of her past. So yeah, we're doing the Evangelion Rebuild franchise right now. So Daniel, why did you choose Perfect Blue for our detour film of this week? Um, really superficially, just because it's an anime. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wanted to stay, we, you know, we did, uh, we took a detour into Akira, we went back to Evangelion, and now I wanted to stay with anime and I chose Perfect Blue. And as I was watching, I actually found myself finding other ways to relate it to Evangelion. Um, one of the most obvious ones being, you know, this is a story about uh, a woman who is, um, she is, uh, gosh, terrorized by uh, an insane fan, an obsessed fan. And that's actually something that happened to Hideko Anno uh, okay. when he was making Evangelion. He wasn't necessarily, I don't think he was necessarily stalked, but he did receive death threats uh, from people who were upset with the way the show ended. Gotcha. Okay. And so yeah. I do, th yeah, there is this connection of, uh, you know, this movie is exploring um, this unhealthy obsession that fans have and this, this feeling of ownership that they have over the art of the artist and the artists themselves in some cases. Um and, you know, that's a real-world phenomenon, and it very much affected <laughs> Evangelion, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, I also think it's really relevant now, because this movie came out in 1997, and there was, like, obsessive, obs obsessive fandom at that point. There's, like, sort of the tragic case with John Lennon that's really popular, and uh, I think Selena is also one as well, um, with oh, yeah. these obsessive fans sort of just going overboard and literally killing the people that they're obsessed with. Um, but also, I feel like this movie becomes even more relevant in today in this sort of TikTok era where we have um, celebrities appearing everywhere. We have, like, anyone can sort of be a celebrity. Anyone yeah. can have 100,000 followers and, and sort of elicit this kind of relationship with a would-be fan or a would-be follower. So I think this is even more relevant today than it was in 1997 because, yeah, anyone can sort of pick up a phone and become a Mima or a Mimarin and sort of... Uh, be that sort of person and so yeah i think this movie is is really gorgeous it's a really harrowing film i think we should also mention before we dive into it uh this film deals with uh, the sensitive topic of sexual assault yeah. and rape so uh if this is a triggering topic for you and you would not like to hear any of this i would suggest fast forwarding to the end of this episode because that is a major theme <laughs> yes. spoilers for this film um yeah i saw this for the first time when i was in high school and i remember i remember in like being really intrigued by it uh coming away thinking it was really good but i did not really remember much else and so on this rewatch i was really surprised uh the degree of sexual violence and just violence in general that like i completely did not remember from that first yeah watch. yeah um but yeah uh so before we get into tons of spoiler talk uh what were your initial reactions to the movie I really enjoyed watching this movie. Um, it does fall into the category, like I sort of mentioned with that uh, disclaimer, this movie does fall into the category of movies that um, are depicting a harrowing experience for a character or they're depicting like a person's identity literally being uh, shredded away from them in a very intense and heightened way. And it's like 
such an experience because when I was watching this, I really didn't know what to expect. I know you, we, uh, you've hyped up uh, Paranoia Asian quite mm-hmm. a bit in the past in this show, and I was a big fan of it after I started watching it. And so that was my only reference point going into this. Like, okay, Satoshi Khan does thrillers, you know, plays with identity and like reality and everything. And so I'm, I, I'm sure sort of, I think I know what I'm going to get into. But over the course of this movie, I, I was very wrong about what this movie ended up being. And yeah, it's a really yeah. effective, th- a really effective thriller. It's a very, yeah, very violent, very like a really challenging movie to sort of because you align with Mima from the very early on when we sort of see her performing and then we see her see her doing her day to day. And so we basically uh, follow her on this journey. And by the time it's over, it's just. It's 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 really intense. And yeah, I was watching this on the projector, and I actually started to feel really bad and sort of thinking about my relationship to voyeurism and like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, it's like uh, this is a spectacle. I want to put this on the big screen, and then like as this movie's progressing, yeah, you I'm feel like, kind of gross. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's like I put this on the biggest screen possible, and I feel deeply ashamed about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I hope like my neighbors <laughs> see this. Like this is <laughs> this is fucked up. And so yeah, this movie like really affected me deeply walking away from it, and I don't think I'll stop thinking about it anytime soon. Yeah. Um yeah, on the rewatch for me, uh I think one of the things that I was really kinda hung up on is like how grounded the movie is. So like we've been watching Evangelion. La- yeah. The last movie, uh Shinji and Ray merged to become a divine entity. <laughs> like that is a completely different realm than where we are with yeah. Perfect Blue. <laughs> Misato's roommate is a, a sentient penguin named Pen Pen that, yeah. <laughs> that does dishes and, and laundry and takes showers. And yeah, there's giant angels fighting, you know, defending these, you know, Eva's and everything. Eva's fighting angels. Sorry, flip that around. But yeah, and this, I even took a note that, yeah, a lot of the characters sort of look really normal and look yeah. really homely. And they go to a length to to make Mima look really gorgeous and to sort of separate her from just the regular looking people that usually in anime it's like everyone's gorgeous and the proportions are exaggerated to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> and so but yeah, it's like people to, here to, are kind of ugly. Like yeah, yeah. their fashion is very plain. Like it doesn't feel like, so when we watched Akira, something I was kind of hung up on was the fashion. Like it feels, and I was saying if they do a live action, action adaptation of this, I want them to really hit hit the fashion mark um this one the fashion is so grounded it feels like it's uh it is making it's making a statement with uh uh with understating the fashion which is that like it's trying to contrast this um this world of this fictional world that um mima occupies as a pop singer with like you know we gotta we gotta we gotta contrast her against her fans we gotta we gotta elevate her and the world that she occupies against her fans um but then when she goes home, of course, we see her apartment. It's a very lived-in apartment. I love the yeah. CRT television with the VCR built in. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, like a PlayStation under it. Yeah, Boy, she's, like, yeah. got her laundry hanging up and stuff. And it it just feels so grounded. Um, even the way, like, everything is framed, uh, it, it doesn't feel very... Yeah, I, 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 like spectacle is a good word that you brought up earlier. Like this doesn't feel like a movie that's really highlighting spectacle initially. Like we didn't, we do get to a place where, as uh, Mima sort of descends into madness, uh, things start to break, and there is a little bit more spectacle. Um, but but yeah, yeah. This, 
it's definitely a very stark contrast from something like Evangelion. And it's good that, yeah, we it's in the same sort of medium of anime. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, the results are just completely different. And, yeah, like like I say, this this would have been a film better fit just to kind of put the headphones on and watch this on the laptop <laughs> and kind of keep this experience to myself instead of putting it on the biggest screen possible. Because, yeah, it's like, this is a really painful story about mm-hmm. this character experiencing, like, the stalker and... Just like switching from music to to movies, and then oh, sorry, is it a TV show or a movie that she's doing? Uh she's doing a show. Doing yeah. a, she's doing a show. Yeah, she's so, yeah, trying to get a show, bigger part. Yeah, like one of the the things that sort of takes place is the show is uh, asking her to do very intense, like asking her to do intense rape scene, and so there's a backlash between like her fans and the sort of this stalker character who's writing her blog for her mm-hmm. and like I, I was watching this I'm like okay like she seemed chipper and accepting to the challenge when yeah. she says yeah like I'll do this scene and that sort of is reflected in a uh, sequence later on with uh, the modeling and taking the pictures where I'm like is looking at this like okay is this something that she genuinely wants to do or is the movie suggesting that okay maybe this is a part of this overall dual personality thing happening where this might be her like just the uh the the superstar or the uh i don't know just the the performer in her that wants to do this not the the quote-unquote the real mima and so that's like the big debate it's like what is who is the real mima in this yeah so there are moments where she's like i don't know i think the real mima doesn't want to do it like i, I like she has this bubbly personality when she's like agreeing to do it and uh, she's going along with these things but we get a scene later where she has a breakdown at alone at her apartment where she's saying like, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to let down the people who've worked so hard for me, like something along yeah. those lines. Um, and so she's feeling the pressure to do it for the sake of her career and for the sake of the people working to advance her career. Um, and so, but yeah, we also get this, this like um, alternate Mima that she's interacting with usually in reflections, which is the Mima who remained a pop idol. Um, and the Mima who remained a pop idol is very happy. Like, she, the pop idol Mima is telling uh, actress Mima, like, you fucked up. Like, you shouldn't have done this. Like, everyone thinks you're a, you know, quote-unquote slut now. Um, yeah, or she's, like, saying, oh, you're filthy now. That's basically, yeah. like, yeah. And did you watch the sub or the dub? Um, I believe I watched the sub. Okay, I watched the dub. Um, okay. So, yeah, there might have been some translation differences. But, um but yeah, it, it it makes me wonder. So knowing where this movie heads, uh, okay. So like one of the things I was I was tr- thinking about like halfway through this is so Mima discovers this website that a fan has put together, and the fan is posting fake diary entries uh, that appear to be submit submitted by me by Mima, yeah. um, and. One of the things that, and like this is really getting to her, the idea that she might have a stalker and the idea that someone has created this website and there's a fictionalized version of her out there. But one of the things I was thinking about is like, what does Mima's journey look like if she never discovered this site? Um, or, or if the stalker story wasn't happening? Like she would still do the show. She would still do the rape scene. She would still have uh, that interaction with the photographer. And so I think there would still be this internal turmoil, this internal conflict between like, what do I really want versus what am I saying I want? Yeah. Um, So yeah, that was something that was interesting to me. And I feel like the fan who 
the soccer fan who's submitting these fake diary entries is it's giving her this character that she can project her doubts and her other feelings on to, which is like this pop idol Mima that we see hovering around her. Um, and I don't know. <laughs> like, like, how are you, how are you thinking? How are you feeling about anything I'm saying right now? <laughs> I, I'm definitely with it. I agree with what you're saying. And yeah, I think it's fascinating that there is this like duality, sorry, this duality between uh, the Mima that we see doing things. And then this, uh, mirrored Mima that is like ridiculing her for the decisions that she's making throughout the film. And so we have that relationship and very early on in the movie we get, so in regards to the whole Mima's room uh, plot is the beginning, the way that is introduced to her is uh, she gets a letter from someone. It's like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. like, it's it's nice to look into, like, I, I enjoy Mima's looking room. into Mima's room. Like, I enjoy looking into her room. And so it sets up this idea of like, okay, she's being watched by somebody. And so she, uh, they do this nice like pull out and like we get to like this nice view of the city, like of Tokyo or, or wherever we are. And then she like closes the her blinds. And so yeah. it's nice, like, okay, she's getting a little freaked out. And then as the film progresses, we are introduced to this character uh, who's referred to as a uh, me mania. And he's the person that is like is um we are visually set up to believe that okay this is the person that is behind all of the yeah. wrongdoings that are taking place because it starts off with this blog but then it quickly escalates into um uh the first one is like a the letter exploding and i think it's a who is it? is it um so it's like someone on set opens the letter and it like yeah. blows up and i think it's like the producer and then it goes like it like someone attacks the producer yeah. and then the screenwriter and then it sort of it kind of snowballs as like these people who are and then the photographer who takes her nude photos later on. Yeah. It's like, okay, someone's killing someone's like killing this person and the movie is having fun with okay, who is this who villain is that is who is this killer? And so there's this fun mystery that's taking place. I mean, initially also. we think we know who the killer is. But yeah, then, yeah, yeah. And and I, actually, I was pretty proud of myself. I called it immediately. Upon, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I wrote it down in my notes. I was like, okay, the person who I suspect is there. Like, there's a scene where, like, after. Okay, so we're in spoiler territory. Just yeah, for anyone deep, listening, we're, we're deep in the muddy waters <laughs> yeah, at this yeah. point. Okay. Um. So yeah, after the uh after the rape scene, after that moment, she's having a conversation with the character Remy, and the character Remy's like, no, no, it's, no, it's after me. Or Rumi? So Rumi. Rumi? I think it's Rumi. Rumi. Sorry. This is after the first person is attacked with a letter. And so they're having mm-hmm. a conversation inside of Mima's room. And Rumi's like, don't worry. Like, it's, it's okay. Like, just completely just disregarding it. And I was like, that's like the classic villain thing. It's like the first, per- like the first conversation she has after this incident of violence is with a friend of hers telling her that you shouldn't worry about this. And, so, but- and that was just the first red flag. And so I just was immediately suspicious of Rumi for the rest of the movie. But that was correct. her other manager, the guy, was also saying stuff like that. Like, True, but yeah, but also this ties into the whole visualization of how they design the characters. I was like, Rumi's character is... She kind of looks the, like Mima a little bit. Yeah, I, I think they kind of, Yeah, they do that, but also I think they go into a direction which I'm not sure how I feel. They like they spread her eyes apart yeah. quite a bit, which I mm-hmm. thought was like a, just uh, going into the lengths of sort of making her less uh, aligned with traditional beauty values. Yeah. So that's sort of, it was just kind of like a red flag. I was just like, okay, I think you guys sort of might have uh, shown your magician's trick a little bit too early for me at least, but yeah. Yeah, that is one of the problems with this movie for me is that it's like, 
making the characters who are violent <laughs> uh, monsters, they're making yes, them deformed. Yeah. <laughs> um, Essentially, yeah. Um, so that's why or drawing them as ugly, or at least you know, according to yeah, traditional it, beauty standards. <laughs> correct. Yeah. So you're sort of they're they're lacking in the golden ratio. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so yeah, we have like a very lovely character like Nima in these really horrific situations where yeah, like she's on stage dressed in pink and she's like surrounded by just like this group of ravenous blue men that are kind of just like just like grabbing at her. And then yeah, another uh, sort of clue to that was during that scene. Early, uh, before that, the producer or the person, the, the uh, Rumi, is like, I don't want him to do this. And then Nima's like, I will do this. And then while it's happening, uh, Rumi stands up in tears because she just fucking can't handle yeah. it and just walks out. But I also think that's relevant to the whole overall theme of her aligning herself with Nima, like the, the whole idea of like, yes, yeah, who absolutely. she thinks it. And so like her seeing that. She is feels like, like a fan yeah. who's betrayed. Because, like, initially I was reading that as, like, okay, she's a woman who's watching out for this young woman who's vulnerable in this, like, uh, this male-dominated industry uh, yeah. that, like, wants to sexualize her and wants to objectify her. And, uh, and so, yeah, initially I read that as, like, okay, she's a woman who is upset uh, to see this person become, like, exploited and victimized. Um, yeah. But no, she's just another fan who feels betrayed that Mima is no longer occupying that innocent image. Right? See, oh, I, I'm looking at it at the layer beyond that with the fact that like that sort of feeling, sort of walking around in the wig, physically pretending to be her in the climax. I sort of in that moment that she's seeing that as like that's happening to her too oh. because she literally sees herself as a mirror mm. image of okay. Mima. Okay. Okay. And so, like, the fact that, like, if Mima is okay with that happening, then, like, then that therefore means I'm okay with that happening. And that's why it's... But that's why she creates the narrative of that's a not the real Mima. That's the fake yeah, Mima. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, there's an imposter. Uh, I wonder if she's the one who sent the traitor facts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's... I'm curious who sent that. Because that's, like, a really, like, small visual way to sort of just, like... Uh, tip us off into the, the thriller territory that we sort of get really deep into later on because yeah it starts off with this nice performance with like these like Power Ranger kind of characters mm -hmm. defending this villain so the first thing we see is like a performance and then it shifts into uh, the performance from the group Champ which it's a great song it's a bop it's a, it's a <laughs> fucking hit Champ is great one I mean great one of their songs the back it sounds like the backing track of like a Rick Astley song or something like but anyways <laughs> go ahead <laughs> uh, yeah so you like see this like great performance in the beginning but and then yeah it's like a nice like day in the life of this uh, uh singer and then she gets home and yeah it's just like oh she reads the letter oh i like looking into mima's room oh that's kind of suspicious and then yeah. the facts shows up where it's just like traitor traitor, traitor. It's like, oh this movie has taken a left turn and yeah it just gets fucking gnarly after that um so yeah i know you're someone who's very interested in like you know color theory uh you know, did you have any takes on, on this movie? So initially, no, but I did find it fascinating that there's a lot of videos and uh, video essays on YouTube mm -hmm. about this. And that was one yeah. <laughs> about like the, the color in uh, Perfect Blue or like Perfect Blue is like creepy because of this. And there's just like, I mean, the movie's called Perfect Blue. So it kind of yeah. like makes you like, why is it called Perfect Blue? <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah, it does uh, beg an interesting question. And then, yeah, like when we do get the red is often in the form of like fountains of blood coming from a character 
and also I know Perfect Blue is based on a novel called Perfect Blue, but I think it's a very yeah. normal question for audiences to ask themselves when watching this movie. Uh, yeah. But uh, Yeah, I definitely need to watch this again. I was more like just swept in just the like just the visuals are really dreamlike in a way that I wasn't prepared for. Mm-hmm. Like the um the mirror Mima kind of like skipping on street yeah. lights away. It was just like, just kind of fucking fried my brain. So it's just like, this is gorgeous and terrifying and in a way yeah. that I wasn't ready for. And there's a lot of really great moments where there's like, she'll be, uh, Mima will be having a conversation with someone and then she'll swivel over to the other side of frame and she'll be in an entirely different scene or situation. Yeah. So I think the camera work and just like the, just how fluid the camera is, caught me more than the uh the colors but i am interested in and that's going back and that's very it. much a satoshi khan thing is like how like bending reality and like placing characters into two places at once and cutting between those places yeah. um i also noticed so he has this movie millennium actress have you seen millennium actress no. um it's about this this woman is being interviewed and she's like telling this she's an actress she's telling the story of her life and telling the story of like Uh, her love life and while she's telling the story we see um, moments from her career in movies and it's these movie scenes are kind of telling the story of her life and even the people interviewing her end up in these movie scenes Um, so we are merging uh, the real world with the, the fictional world which is very much what he's doing here and he does that in paranoia agent he does that in Paprika. Um, so this is, seems to be something he's, like, really interested in. And, like, one of the ways that this also occurs is he deconstructs the illusion of filmmaking and of in Paranoia Age, and it happens with anime. Like, we, we go behind the scenes and we're uh, seeing how animators operate and stuff like yeah. that. Um, so, yeah, it's, like, one of these reoccurring uh, ideas that he's really interested in is just, like, the merging of reality, of fiction, of, you know, these characters that we create um, and how other people perceive them and what is behind the scenes. And also dual personalities. Like, I know there's a dual personality plotline in Paranoia Agent. Um, yeah, just like, what are the different roles that we play? Yeah, and one of the um, ways that the movie uh, accomplishes that is by having the dialogue sort of be circular and like happen in a way where like uh, she's preparing lines and these lines, she's like, the line is uh, who are you? So she's like repeating that over yeah. and over. And then um, we, she gets the letter from, she gets like the facts, I think, and then, or she reads the letter that she's like, who are you? Who's the person that sent it? And so, yeah, there's this like whole thing of what she's saying in her uh, real world is, is mirrored in what's happening in this like fictional world. Um, there's another visual thing that I, uh, wrote down that I wanted to ask you about. Um, there's this whole uh, sequence that happens where she's feeding her fish and she's connected to this like little fish tank that she has with all these little mm-hmm. tiny little guys floating around. And then she apologizes to them for forgetting to feed them. And then a few scenes later, she comes back and, and all the dead. fish in the fish tank are dead. Yeah. She fucking freaks out and starts breaking all the stuff in her apartment. Mm-hmm. And then right before the scene ends, I think it cuts back to the fish tank and there's two fish inside of it. Correct? Like I... Like that's maybe I, yeah maybe I was taking notes during this because I remember like so I wrote I'm looking at my notes right now I wrote down dead fish uh, and then reaction uh, yeah. because that is something I wanted to talk about I do not remember there was only two fish in the bowl 
Yeah, so I think they they're doing this weird thing where she reacts to like all of them dead, but then right before the scene ends, we get a shot of there's just two that are alive inside of the the tank instead of it actually being a full plentiful tank. And so I was like, I thought that was an interesting thing, mm. just visually sort of dealing with the fantasy reality, but also just the whole uh, the number two is an important theme in this movie. Okay, I'm I'm. <laughs> Uh, browsing through the movie right now to see. Oh yeah, there are two fish in the bowl, or in the tank. Yeah. And then immediately after that, she goes back to browsing the internet. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, one thing that that stuck out to me is um, earlier on when uh, uh, Mima is questioning her reality, she says, uh, "Maybe that truck hit me, and this is all a dream." Yeah. And then in our climax, they sort of are both almost hit by yeah a which i was like oh they're gonna get by a truck right <laughs> like, yeah. um what, it's like oh, i love that moment when it's like the headlights are coming towards her she just spreads her arms out and hears the applause yeah there are so really many good. i love how this movie just keeps ramping up like the twists <laughs> where it's like oh you oh it turns out she's actually a crazy person who believes she's an actress in a show and She's made up this whole acting story to try and explain, uh, fictionalize, and distance herself from these murders that she's committed. And it's like, oh no, she actually is an actress, and she's playing a character <laughs> yeah. who believes that. And then, and like even changing the dialogue moment to moment, and yeah, like like because when she says, "Maybe I got hit by that truck," I don't think the audience, or at least I didn't feel this way. I like I never believed that for a second that that's what happened. But it's planting yeah. the idea in your head that, like, it's at least entertaining that idea that, like, hey, maybe someone thought this happened. Because we did just cut away when she seemed to get hit by a truck without any sort yeah. of explanation as to what that truck thing was about. Um, yeah, it's very playful in a way that is just, uh, I don't know, disconcerting. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, this movie hits, like, a fucking sweet spot, like, right towards the middle where it's, like, we just get... Like she's an actress at this point, and so she'll go to sleep and she'll be aware. She's like, "Oh, like I was asleep," and then we'll have a scene, and then like the whole thing with like the photographer yeah. kind of egging her on in the street, and then oh, that's actually her at work, and then the, <laughs> she's still being stalked at work, and so there's just the just the layers being revealed. It's always just a lot of fun, and then it just gets to this weird like dreamlike loop in the middle where you don't know what the hell is happening, and it's just operating at the highest level of um, what it's trying to do. So the photographer getting killed, and then her finding the clothes in her closet yeah, yeah like who killed the photographer like i assume it was Rumi, um and yeah. that like after hearing the news she's made up this fiction about her being the one who did it and the closet scene didn't actually happen but it's like there's never it's never clearly explained what happened you just kind of have to put those pieces together yeah um, yeah the Rumi reveal <laughs> like when she's in that room and you see the the fish are alive, but they're not the right fish. They're different fish. Yeah, and yeah. like the Cham poster's still up. And then she looks out the window and you see the train. And then she sees Rumi uh, dressed in like her pop idol outfit. Like that shit cracked me up. <laughs> like yeah. I know that was supposed to be like unsettling reveal maybe, but like I, it felt really good. It felt like such a good reveal. I don't know. I, I yeah. cause I didn't guess. Uh, and I'd already seen this once before. <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah and then yeah the the resulting like fights and the violence in this movie is it's really it's not fun it's it's really challenging gritty fight scenes where we feel like 
Bima is fighting for her fucking life when she encounters the stalker inside of this, like, uh, nightclub. And, yeah, it's like when uh, Rumi is inside of her room and she's, like, chasing her with, like, this screwdriver. Is it the screwdriver or is it... I think it's it's the screwdriver. Because if it is a screwdriver, then there you go. That's That's the link to the photographer murder. Yeah, it's just really well done. Yeah. Really menacing. Yeah. Uh, anything else on Perfect Blue? Uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting is that the rape scene, you know, it is kind of one level removed because it is not actually happening to our character. It is our character performing a scene in a television show. Um, and it feels like it really drives that the like the artificiality of it home by like having them call cut in the middle of it having the person who's on top of her say hey i'm sorry i'm really sorry (laughs) um having a blooper happen where he says his zipper gets jammed um but the way it's still depicted like after after they illuminate like the artificiality of it the rest of the depiction that follows that is just as intense and disturbing as if it really happened. Um, she yeah. sort of like allows herself to like fade out and takes her mind to a different space. Um, but yeah, that's a really inter- it's really interesting to me that that scene has jokes in it, <laughs> and the jokes are pretty funny with like it jamming and the "I'm really sorry" uh, while still taking us to that horrific place. And I don't know, it just you know people talk about like when is it okay to show a scene like that. Yeah. And this is his, this is Stoshi Khan's first movie. This is a directorial debut. Um, I he, it, it, he's making some really bold moves here. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it goes back to what we were talking about last week when I brought up the last duel is like, like sexual assault and rape is not something that like, Oh, I'm going to make my first movie. That's going to be the thing that is going to be the content of it. Because like you have, Ridley Scott, who's like a director who is far, far into his career, uh, like addressing something that is extremely sensitive like that, and still sort of not the reception is not like is still uneven. It's not like across yeah. the board thumbs up or thumbs down. It's still pretty mixed. But for Perfect Blue, it seems pretty much like people recognize this is like a fucking masterpiece as far as like animation and like just commenting on voyeurism and uh, fame and all of those yeah. things. Having this be a piece of animation that does that and just in a really alarming way and i think it is something really special but yeah i just find that fascinating about like because i'm watching i'm like yeah like this isn't the type of movie i would have on my shelf and throw on every couple every three months when i just want to <laughs> have like a little anime kind of thing but it is one of those movies that you don't forget when you watch this movie and it's a movie that sticks with you it's kind of like irreversible or anti-christ yeah. in the way where it's such a visceral experience that it is, yeah, it's, it's like its own like, category of, like, cinematic sort of experience. Well, it's like, I remember someone saying, like, I don't mind when, I don't mind when movies are violent. I don't even know if it was about movies, but I don't mind when movies are violent as long as they have something to say about violence. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, like, this movie has sexual violence in it, but it feels like it's saying something about that and how that is part of this culture and that might have been you um, in regards to final destination <laughs> <laughs> no I, I feel like somebody else had to have said that i think it's you it's like why are we watching these teenagers die over and over again if it has nothing interesting to say about it i think that might have been you. okay <laughs> sure <laughs> but yeah anything else on perfect blue 
we good? Um, yeah, oh, there is okay. a detail that I found really interesting. Is she's like Mima's giving like the apology like in the very beginning. She's like, yeah, so sorry about like leaving the group. I gave you twenty one and a half years of this. I was like, holy shit! Like that's like a long time to to like be uh, in the public eye to be a singer. That's like you're like Jackson numbers essentially. Yeah, it's like that's like like how like how old are you and how long have you been singing to be like, like a young pop singer for twenty one and a half years. Um, yeah, I was watching, I didn't finish it. There was, I did see a video, a video essay on Perfect Blue online and it talks about idol culture in Japan. Um, I'm, I, I just recommend any of our listeners just search Perfect Blue on YouTube. You're going to find a fuck ton of video essays and a lot of, most of them are pretty good. Um, some of them are just people like summarizing the movie and it's super boring, but, yeah. um, yeah, Japanese idol culture everything about the idol was fake. It was manufactured, like who they hung out with, what they ate, who they dated, what clothes they wore, where they shopped, all of that stuff was planned. And the, uh, the audience, uh, mostly men, uh, middle-aged men, which is very weird. Um, you know, they had this idealized view of these people, uh, of these women, and they had to be innocent. They had to be pure um and there was this woman who she was uh seen leaving her boyfriend's apartment in the morning or something like that she spent the night with her her boyfriend and it was a controversy and she shaved her head to apologize for the this indecency um and yeah it's just it's it's fucked up and i think i i think that has mellowed out since then i think uh, the idea that these people are entertainers with their own lives um, has kind of, you know, become more understood as we've gone away from uh, Imperial Japan, <laughs> um, where, you know, things were a lot more patriarchal, paternalistic. Um, but, yeah. yeah, I'm sure yeah, some I... of those mindsets are still uh, still around. Yeah, like I say, we're kind of in the TikTok era where... It's like you could have a Mima in your family as opposed to it being... Which is fucking like a, weird. A, a one of a kind. I knew a girl uh, who had a stalker. Um, I... She... Let me, let me try and remember here. Some dude hacked her computer, hacked her boyfriend's computer, uh, a friend of mine to let them use his computer to, like, I don't know, manage the situation. He got hacked. Um, I had other friends get hacked. <laughs> like crazy. they were just like this dude was just hacking everybody. He was stalking her. Uh, my friend's dad had to like punch him in the face. The police like went to this dude's house, um, and now like yeah. she can't have her or her boyfriend at the time like refuse to have any sort of online presence. Uh, but yeah, it's fucking crazy. And she wasn't even an influencer or anything like that. She was just a person. <laughs> like yeah. No, my bandmate had a stalker that Shit. flew over from Korea to, like, literally just, he came home from work and she was in his house. Whoa. Yeah. I, I can't even tell that story justice because that he experienced it, like, in a way that was, like, it, it completely just, like, shifted his worldview on, like, yeah, like, on, like profiles and Instagram and all that yeah. kind of stuff. It just completely made him jaded it's on fucking that scary. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, like, it's fucked up. And, yeah, this movie is, is fascinating and it's the depiction of that very relevant today Ooh, okay all right that's it for me well what have you been watching this week fuck what i have i've been watching this week uh i'm working my way through search party season two that's about it um 
Yeah, I guess I haven't really watched much else. <laughs> oh, I did watch. It started the movie Kill Zone. It's um another Donnie Yen movie. Um okay. and it's real bad. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's not good. Um it's from director Wilson Yip, who did the It Man movies. Yes. Um so I, I think this was earlier in his career. It was like a, a few years earlier. But um who oh boy is it bad? It's it's very stylistic, it's very sentimental, very dramatic, and it's just odd. Um we have it's it's about these cops who are trying to like bring down this like crime lord sort of guy um who uh, was responsible for the deaths of like uh, the cops you know f- friends family or whatever and uh, i don't know it's just I, I don't even know how to explain it it's just bad <laughs> like it's very style like one of like it has a cool moment where if you're going to take away anything from this if you're going to steal an idea from this there's a moment where four guys are driving a car down the road and we get this sort of like uh split frame uh you know shot where the bottom of the shot it, the, the shot's broken up into five frames the bottom frame extends from left side to right side and it's just the car driving the top of the frame is broken up into four sections each section is someone who's sitting in the car and they're all having <laughs> a conversation so we get to see all their faces while they're having this conversation and we get to see the car as it's driving around and i thought that That's was cool. pretty cool like that is like the one cool idea i got from this Sorry. um otherwise yeah. not a great movie um and they made a sequel to it and so i was like really like i've seen scenes from the sequel that are really impressive but um i don't know if i can commit to watching this one just to get to the sequel so yeah how about you so that yeah that brings up a few things uh well first you're sort of mentioning video essays of perfect blue there's this guy on youtube or who i'm starting to watch his videos and i think he's i think he's kind of a cut above at least on the movie video essay guys his name is thomas flight he has a video that breaks down why the editing in bohemian rhapsody is Hmm. so bad okay and it's sort of it got a little bit of traction a few years ago and it got to the point where even the editor and director from that movie like commented on it wow so i think that's really interesting yeah so shout out to thomas flight he's cool he has a a video on paul thomas anderson that i think you'd enjoy in particular Uh, (laughs) but yeah also mentioning this whole thing about like a good idea but not being executed well I think that ties in really perfectly to what's sort of going on with Euphoria right now. Euphoria is, like, getting a lot of buzz for having just, like, these high school characters dealing with these really over-the-top situations. I think, as far as drugs are concerned, a lot of the things the show depicts do ring true. I do know people who very much have experienced things like Rue in high school, so I think... As far as drugs are concerned, Euphoria gets a lot of things correct. With sex, I think it gets some things, like good things, not, uh, a lot of things correct. I'm not like a fucking teenager anymore, so I'm, I could be fucking <laughs> totally wrong. But like a way that a lot of things that, sorry, a big issue I have with the show is the idea is really great, but the execution is not. Hmm. And so I'm um, assuming, are you going to watch the show or can I just like kind of speak a little freely about um... it? <laughs> No, go, no, go ahead. Like I, I feel like I'll watch it eventually, just because there's so much buzz around it. But I also don't care that much. Um, gotcha. There was a. <laughs> I remember there was a study a while back where they had people read uh, these little stories, and before they gave one group, okay, they split these people into two groups. The first group they said, "This is a story about uh, a man who 
accidentally hits a woman with his car and then they fall in love and get married or something like that. And so they spoil the story before they give them the story to read. The other group, they just said, like, we want you to read this story. Um, halfway through the story, they interrupt both groups and they're like, how are you enjoying things? The people who had the spoilers enjoyed this, the story more. Um, gotcha. So there is this theory that, like, if you know where things are going, you're going to like it more. I'm sorry I totally interrupted okay. your euphoria. That's fine. <laughs> to say that, but, Another yeah. uh, detour. There is a, a shot in Perfect Blue that happens after they filmed the rape scene where uh mima is inside the her bathtub like curled up inside mm, yeah and, like kind of just like there's a shot in euphoria that happened in episode uh, i think of the first episode of the season where a character is hiding inside a bathtub and they're almost identical so i just thought that was funny but um yeah so euphoria focuses on a character named rue so zendaya's character is essentially like a really smart and like knowledgeable person about drugs but the character is also the narrator and it has like this all-knowing kind of aspect to them where you have rue commenting on the things that she's going through the things that her girlfriend is going through the things that the villains like literally she has all-knowing information about all these characters and then we have scenes where Rue is doing something dumb, like she has taken heroin a scene before, and now she's doing cocaine a scene later. And so this is a, a, a dumb thing to be fucking mm -hmm. doing. But while she's doing it, she's like, oh, like, can you also, like, check my heart rate? And, like, she's, like, communicating in a way that is also very, like, hyper-literate to, like, the whole drug thing and being like, oh, like, now nah, I just need to get my heart rate back up, so just give me some Adderall, then I'll be fine. And so it's like you have this character who's, like, superhuman in, like, their, like, their knowledge of drugs, which is... Fair. I know people like that. That's that's totally really? cool. <laughs> but but with that said, we have this whole plot where okay, we have her. She's in high school. The natural progression. Okay, she is a drug addict. She's relapsed, but now she's in a position where she is crossing the line from being a drug user to being a drug dealer. This is something where it's like, this is her going from okay, you're kind of just endangering yourself. Now you're possibly endangering people that you love yeah. people that are adjacent to you because you're fucking dealing drugs and she's having a conversation with this drug dealer and she's like yeah like i'll recruit like some fellow high school girls i'll like give them burner phones and kind of like blackmail them so if like i control their phones and their personal information then they will be too afraid to like go to the police and say anything and the drug dealer's like yeah you're a genius here's ten thousand dollars worth of drugs in a suitcase and rue rides off on a with a bicycle with the suitcase behind her and i'm like that it's just visually it looks dumb as a way to have this character yeah. be doing something that makes sense for the character. Yes, Rue selling drugs makes sense, but having her right, right away from the drug dealer's house with a ten thousand dollars worth of drugs in a suitcase, yeah. that is kind of it's like perfect okay. crime, Thomas. No one's gonna suspect. <laughs> It's like this show is set in Los Angeles. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, first, first of all, she's going to be riding. Yeah, for, you can't ride anyway. <laughs> yeah. She's going to be on that bike for two hours. <laughs> like, she's going to be exhausted. Like, I don't, I don't want to, like, approach it, like, um, super rational. Like, oh, like, that's yeah. You don't want to be a nerd Euphoria about it. Is. But... <laughs> Euphoria is not a rational show. Euphoria is, like, a visual show about these heightened things. But I don't know. I, I think for a show that's so good visually and, like, and I feel like is leading the the hurt leading the pack is like as far as visuals is concerned in tv i think it is such a disappointment that the content of it can can be good at times but also is just very lacy at times and yeah i don't know there's that's just one thing that happened in this last episode that sort of made me want to stop watching because i was like this character is smart people are telling her she's smart but all she just does but i'm not seeing her being smart <laughs> yeah it's just like it's just like not there and there's good ideas but the execution of those good ideas is where things sort of fall mm -hmm. flat 
And yeah, I think that kind of happens with Boba Fett too, where it's like the idea of doing a Boba Fett show is cool, but having him kind of just like kick dirt and Tatooine for seven episodes is kind of fucking boring. I, like, yeah, you want to see I haven't watched something it. else. Like I saw the yeah. spoiler for the last episode. Have you watched the most recent episode? No, I'm, I'm going to watch it. After okay. This. Um, so I saw a spoiler concerning this episode. I'm not going to say what it is. Cause I want to run it for you, but it made me want to watch the show now. <laughs> and okay. I only watched the first episode and I was kind of bored. So that means I got to watch four episodes that I'm not that into <laughs> to, to see what they're doing with star Wars. Hey, it's got a black Wookiee, so uh, it's not yeah, as cute. Yeah, he's as from the comics. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've heard of that guy. I forget what his name yeah. is because it's a Wookiee name. It's like a Kirstenstein or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> I think that just might just be a country. Um, That's great. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to mention that, but also I wanted to bring up, I, well, I watched this movie that was putting off from last year that I wonder if you've seen it. Uh, it's the Nicolas Cage movie Pig. Oh, yeah, I watched that with my parents on during the holidays. Look, <laughs> yeah so i watched that this weekend with my friend jack and yeah i was sort of like blown away i like climbed very high up on my list for movies of last year and i think that nicholas cage has earned himself another nomination for best actor easy. like he's i i remember someone saying he is a weapon that you just have to know how to use <laughs> like yeah. if you don't if you're just throwing a rocket launcher into a random movie then it's not gonna work out you have to like when is the best time to use this rocket launcher? Um, and which which is kind of a weird way to talk about it, cons- considering like Pig is a pretty uh, restrained movie. Um, but yeah, he's he's fucking he's great in it. Yeah, yeah. I movie. went in blind and fucking loved it. This, really enjoyed that. The scene where he's telling uh, the restaurant owner like, "This is not who you are. Like, none of these people know who you are." Uh, yeah, it's great stuff. He just like completely <laughs> shreds this yeah. man of everything. He gave this he man an existential crisis. Like he like panic <laughs> orders like the wine. Like, <laughs> like this is a wine from like 2012. Yeah. Like yeah, that scene is just fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah really enjoyed that. Um, that made that that, that that seemed like tore me apart. <laughs> like where I was like, what yeah. the fuck am I doing? Like, yeah. No, for real, I, I feel that for sure. Just be honest, people. Like yeah, I remember watching this Charlie Kaufman talk. Uh, it was one of the, the things that made me want to do this, make make a show, uh, which is that, like, it's just about, like, just, like, if you can be honest, it doesn't matter, like, how much money you bring in, how how many, how much of an audience you get, because being o- honest is in itself worth doing. <laughs> it is yeah. in itself worthwhile. Um, so, yeah, just feel comfortable being yourself and feel comfortable exposing who you are and putting yourself out there and uh that's a win in itself yeah definitely anything else um that's about it there's something that happened this week that like is not film related but something that i'm passionate about but like i wonder if you'd heard about it if, if it's even worth uh, it what's up? this whole drama with the anti-work subreddit <laughs> oh yeah you i just saw that this? today yeah yeah so like uh, yeah we could probably cut this I mean, or it not, happened or, today like, right or did it happen last night yeah it like happened like over the past twenty four hours or so, but essentially, for those who don't know, there's a uh, there was a subreddit on Reddit where it was a lot of people gathering together, sort of criticizing our sort of capitalist relationship to work mm-hmm. and just sort of the climate of work. And 
the the too long didn't read of this and why I'm bringing it up is there's a fucking workers revolution happening in uh, in America right now like it is just a matter of time before you know things sort of hit another tipping point but yeah the pandemic and the whole work from home thing just collectively shifted a lot of the perception of how people look at work yeah there was like almost two million people on this subreddit uh, some just sharing memes, some getting really deep into the whole yeah. philosophy and the ideology of why we work in this capitalist society. And all of that sort of disappeared <laughs> in a, over a yeah. three minute because Fox News interview. One unqualified person <laughs> was invited to speak on Fox and accepted that invitation. Um, and yeah, it's like and one it... person can't <laughs> represent. 2.9 million people. How, how many people did you say were subscribed? It was like 1.6. Okay, 1.6. Yeah, Even yeah, so, 7.6. one person cannot represent Still... all these people. It's not as if they were elected to represent these people. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I don't want to, like, throw more uh, stones at that person because they already have yeah, all sure the entire having, internet going yeah, at they're them. They're having a fucking just, terrible I, time right now, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, hopefully that person is able to get some peace because no one deserves the fucking full wrath of the internet. Mm-hmm. The internet is fucking trash, and they'll just <laughs> completely just eviscerate you in this day and age. But I just I'm bringing it up because like if you've been to a restaurant, if you've gotten coffee in the last six months, you sort of realize that there's a tension out there just between workers and managers, mm-hmm. and just sort of just be aware that there's a reason why we have entire staff of you know, Arby's workers walking out of restaurants and why, you know, these places are, you know, slicing their hours in half. Like there's a, there's a reason why that's happening. I'm just, I I just had to just bring that up. We're talking about honesty and podcasts and having a platform. I can't have this episode without even just mentioning just like that shift just is is insane. That fucking Fox news interview. I don't know. Like there's, (laughs) so like I saw that on Reddit, someone posted it and like the responses, I don't like everyone is, attacking the person being interviewed which is like yeah they're unqualified to have this interview they did a poor job they should have prepared etc etc however you can absolutely feel the hatred that fox news has for the working class like as soon as this person says they're a dog walker they're laughing at them as if like that like as if anyone who walks dogs for a living is undeserving of living (laughs) like undeserving of the basic necessities for life like that it- yeah just last yeah just last week eric adams the mayor of new york was mocking people that flip burgers for a living like yo if you need to feed your family then yeah. flip some burgers yo like if that's how we have to do it in this dystopian capitalist society like we can't all you know be brad pitts or elon musk's or whatever some people have to, to yeah you know, we can't all oil the machine yeah we can't all be like getting by without working because we're living off of the backs of the people who are working. We can't all be CEOs, you know? Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. And, and this episode with the <laughs> call to action. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that might be it for me for episode 70. Yeah. Um, it's all for me. I mean, I'm sure we'll have that conversation over and over and over again. Cause it's, <laughs> it's an endless frustration. Um, yeah, I'm feeling it because, like, the, the local cafe in Martinez, like, they've been going through it as far as just being able to staff, the, like, the building. And it's just, like, I I did that for five years. And, I like, I know what it's like to just to have that sort of bleak mentality when you're just clocking in, clocking out, doing mundane shit. Like, it, it's, it's really tough. And so, yeah, I'm happy we were able to chit-chat about movies and yeah. fucking, have, have, like, an hour to just do this. Because not everyone has that. So hopefully, yeah. you know, if someone is in there flipping burgers right now listen to us 
this this is for you i remember <laughs> the interviewer asked like what does the ideal work week look like for me what is the ideal number of hours worked or some shit like that if we're talking ideal if we're talking like yeah. i can snap my fingers and like make a wish and that's it happens that is what ideal is zero <laughs> like yeah. ideally everything's automated you're taken care of and you could spend your time doing whatever it is you like any any work that you perform is uh leisure it is i'm doing it because i want to do it not because i have to do it otherwise i risk losing my home uh not being able to pay for you know medicine uh yeah. not being able to pay for like food etc etc et i'm not allowed to have teeth because yeah. i don't have a job i don't want to be co coerced <laughs> into joining the workforce to, with a threat of death um yeah. and that is why the poor exist the poor yeah. exist the like the poor exist because it has to serve as a reminder to the working class this is what can happen to you uh you're lucky to be where you're at yeah another uh, reddit rabbit hole i went down that sort of ties into this was the whole um this idea of like hostile architecture of like yeah like yeah. people don't need to put anti-homeless spikes yeah. under your building just like just make the bench sleepable you know like why is that so such a terrible thing but yeah this is getting into a <laughs> we're turning yeah. into the revolution vague zone podcast at this point <laughs> well that's yeah. why it's called vague zone like that's like <laughs> one of the reasons i wanted it called something weird because it's like i didn't want to be the movie boys because then we're stuck talking about movies we talk about whatever we want cinema boys yeah. can't talk about anything except marvel movies yeah. all right all right so yeah next week we're continuing our coverage of the evangelion <laughs> rebuild evangelion 3.0 i don't know what the subtitle of it is but i know it's evangelion. something weird something with parentheses in it you cannot blink yeah. something like that but yeah but if you'd like to contact us you can email us vaguezonepod at gmail.com if you have questions comments concerns movie recommendations or franchise suggestions let us know if you would like to tweet at us hit us up on twitter at vaguezone always on there talking at all hours of the night and day so yeah this has been episode 70 i'm thomas and i'm daniel we'll catch you on the next one